Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another coronavirus episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1. You can hear me on Fox Sports Radio and read me on Bleacher Report. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear just me talking about what I exclusively feel are the most important or interesting topics in the sports world, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that's here. Now, I try not to get triggered by what I read on social media, Twitter in particular. I know, I know, we all try, we don't always succeed. I've read that 20% of the people who have access to the internet use Twitter. That doesn't seem like a very big number. Uh, The number of those who use it regularly, I'm sure, is smaller than that. And those that are sports fans is smaller still. And NBA fans, obviously, are a subset of that. So I consciously have to remind myself that an opinion expressed in a tweet is not necessarily a widely held belief. Even if several people express it, or it gets liked or retweeted several hundred times. There were apparently thousands of people who don't know the difference between the Detroit Pistons' Isaiah Thomas and the former King, Sun, Celtic, Cavalier, Laker, Nugget, Wizard Isaiah Thomas, even though they spell their names different, have an almost 30-year age difference and vastly different careers. But, as I said it's easy to fall into the trap of taking it all too seriously. All that said, this podcast is dedicated to the beef between Charles Barkley and Draymond Green because of what I've seen posted about it. The posts have been largely one-sided, supporting Chuck's criticism of Draymond as a role player, essentially, who thinks way too much of himself. What really put me over the top in doing this podcast on this subject was a tweet from former NBA Kendrick NBA center, Kendrick Perkins, my radio.com colleague who wrote that Draymond better never open his mouth about Charles again. Now I'm assuming this was off seeing Chuck in the 1993 finals in episodes five and six of the last dance, the documentary on Michael Jordan and the bulls, which I will get to if not in this podcast in the next one. Chuck was indeed impressive in that series. I know. 
I was there. Now, I don't know how many people covered Barkley as I have covered him or got to know him as I have and covered Draymond Green as I have and got to know him as I have. Not many. Possibly not any that are working in the media today. Because it would mean that you were around in the 90s, you covered Chuck when he'd hang out in the press room before games and tell stories, you were the go-between for him and a young female intern who worked for the Warriors Media Relations Department, and you'd hung out with him after hours on a few occasions. You also would have had to be the sideline reporter for the Warriors for Draymond's first two years in the league, which gave me a very unique access to the team as Mark Jackson and that team came together on their way to winning championships. Uh, You would have also had to bowl with him one-on-one on on a private lane inside the San Francisco Giants AT&T Park. I didn't even know there was a bowling alley in there. And essentially watched his entire career firsthand living in the Bay Area, as I do. I'm not... Well, I was going to use an old term, flossing. I'm not... I'm not uh, bragging. It's not a humble brag. I'm just telling you, I've been around both of these guys a lot. I've had a unique access to both of them. Uh, So let's put it this way. I know both of them very, very well, better than most. And I have a tremendous respect for who they are and what they've accomplished, both of them. And while I've often defended Charles on a number of fronts, He is in the wrong when it comes to this beef, which is why seeing everybody take up for him and step on Draymond just hits me as completely wrong. Chuck is wrong because he started it, he started this beef with an inaccurate remark that belittled Draymond. He's wrong because he has mischaracterized how Draymond views himself or has talked about his role on the Warriors championship teams. And he's wrong because he has done what he so often accuses the media for doing, assassinating a player's character without really knowing that player at all. And I just, based on everything that Chuck has said about Draymond, I don't believe he really knows who he is. And if I were Draymond, I'd be coming to Chuck a lot harder than he has. And I certainly wouldn't be stopping anytime soon. That might be more of a reflection of me, but so be it. Here's why. Here's why I'd still be coming at him. Chuck completely misrepresented what I've done. If I'm Draymond, he's completely misrepresented what I've done, what I've said, and who I am. And now I've got a bunch of chowderheads on Twitter saying I'm a mediocre player getting paid $100 million for producing, quotations, triple singles. Let's start there, shall we? First of all, Draymond is a long way from being either mediocre, as I've seen him called, or a nice little player, as Chuck has referred to him. Neither mediocre nor nice little players are three-time All-Stars, two-time All-NBA selections, and five-time All-Defensive Team selections. They certainly aren't selected the best defensive player of the year. They're not a starter who averages nearly 40 minutes on teams that go to the finals five years in a row and win three championships either. And they don't average a double-double in three of their seven postseasons. All of this from a guy who was a second-round pick. 
the the worst part of this is Draymond is anything but the king of triple singles. He's far closer to being a triple-double threat. Did you know he's 18th on the all-time list for triple-doubles with 24? Did you know that that's more than Kareem or Kobe or Walt Frazier or Michael Ray Richardson had in their careers? And did you know that it ties in with Elgin Baylor and some guy named Charles Barkley? Yeah. This versatility isn't something that just happened since he joined the Warriors either. There have been nine triple-doubles in NCAA tournament history. Green owns two of them, and he's the only player to do so. John Morant became the first to get one with Murray State since Green got his last one for Michigan State in 2012. Now, as someone who has watched Draymond his entire career, not once have I sensed he was stat chasing either. His numbers have resulted from what needs to be done to win and his ability to provide it. And if you're bagging on him for his four-year, $100 million extension, you need to get up to speed with pay scales in the NBA these days. $25 million per is nowhere near top dollar. And it's about what you'd expect one of the top three players on a championship team to make. And while he may not be ahead of Steph or Clay in talent, he is certainly no, long, no lower than number three in the pecking order with the Warriors. So now do you understand why Barkley mocking him for triple singles is a dig not only too deep, but completely off base? When the triple-double lost some of its meaning because of small ball and ball-dominating guards like Russell Westbrook and James Harden, a friend of mine and I started tracking quad nickels, five or more in four different categories. For us, it better reflected an all-round game game that triple-doubles once did, but no longer do because rebounds are a little easier to come by and are not a reflection necessarily of good defense. An increase in possessions in the game and long rebounds from more threes being taken makes it easier for guards to fill up on them. You get a defensive rebound, you get out on the break, uh, the way offenses run, you're either getting a, a pass for an assist on a three, or you're driving all the way to the cup, or you're pulling up for a shot. It means you could fill all three categories in one possession. Guys like Westbrook and Harden have multiple opportunities to do that. Draymond Green, playing with Steph and Clay, actually does not. A quad nickel, though, meant you also had to get five steals or five blocks, as well as minimum of five points, five assists, five rebounds. Draymond and Giannis Antetokounmpo led the first year we kept track in 2016-17 with five each out of a total of 44. 44 quad nickels being uh, completed over the course of the season in the entire league. And this was after Draymond was within shouting distance of averaging a triple-double for the entire 2015-16 season with 14 points, 9.5 rebounds, 7.5 assists. That happened to be the first of four seasons in a row in which he led the team in assists, the Warriors. Four seasons in a row with Steph Curry on your team. Yeah. You don't do that on a championship team if you're mediocre. Draymond is the essence of a gamer on top of it all. 
it, it's never been about numbers for him. He's a gamer in the old school definition, by the way. He shows up big when the games are biggest. And you can mock his three-point shot if you want. He works at it. I know it's not pretty. He shoots it better when the Warriors are home for stretches between games because he can get extra work in on it and get into a rhythm. But his regular season career three-point percentage is the one aspect of his game that could be called mediocre, 31%. And it jumps to 38% for his career in the playoffs. And that's anything but mediocre. And it's always a sign of guys who can elevate their game when it matters most when their numbers go up in the postseason, not down. He's never been the Warriors' best player, unless you count this past season. And he's never claimed to be, in spite of what Charles said. Draymond has always acknowledged Clay and Steph being as instrumental, if not more so, than himself. And what's funny is, it wasn't that long ago that I seem to recall Chuck was not down with Steph's game. Too many threes, not strong enough, too much dribbling. Now, can Draymond carry a team? No. But he never claimed he could. And neither can Steph or Clay. I know that may come as a shock to some of you. Steph being a two-time league MVP and all. But it's why players have always been reluctant to put him on the same level as LeBron or Michael or even someone like James Harden. I have the utmost respect for Steph as a person, as a player, as a team leader. And I don't agree with putting him, putting Harden above him. But I understand where the players are coming from when they do. No matter how soft the game has become, there's still a certain physicality, there's a certain element of being able to impose your physical will on a game that players respect. And Steph does it all with guile. His physicality is his agility, change of direction, quick release. He's not going to overpower you. James Harden, for all of the fool the referee stuff that he does, is still... He's solid, man. He's a big guard. He's a big two guard. 6'4", 6'5", 210, 215. He's a load. Steph just doesn't have that same physical presence. And as I said, as much as the game has changed, there's still that element of your athleticism and your physical strength that players feel has to be there for you to be a dominant guy. Also, and it's a tiny sample size, admittedly, but Steph struggled mightily in the five games he played this season with a severely undermanned Warriors team. Shot 40% from the field overall, was shooting 25% from three-point range, and averaged 20 points a game. That's, that's his lowest in the last eight seasons. So those bagging on Draymond because he didn't become the man this season, well, the two-time MVP didn't look like he was headed in that direction either. The fact is, this may come as a shock to some of you as well, the Warriors are a lot like the Detroit Pistons when they had Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, Ben Wallace, Tayshaun Prince, and Rasheed Wallace. Now, you may not see the comparison right away because that team only won one championship, went to the finals twice. But they were a perennial team in the Eastern Conference Finals. They came very close. 
year after year for about a six, seven year stretch. And the reason they did is because their particular strengths complemented each other so well and they had the unifying force of all having been discounted in one way or another. You didn't look at any one of them as being this superstar dominant player and yet they had a great run. Warriors are in the same boat. I know the accolades have come and I know how we look at Steph and but the reality is those pieces work together. Uh, and it's not just those three. It was their depth and versatility. Now, they lost some of that. That calling card, that persona when Kevin Durant came on board. It still lasted a little while with KD because he did have something to prove. And they just had so much talent. But KD had been successful on his own. So as soon as he won a couple championships, it was there was no fear about going elsewhere. And trying his hand, in fact, it was still the next bridge to cross for him. Like the belief, okay, I came over here, a little bit like LeBron going to Miami. I came down here, I learned the formula, now I want to go someplace and I would do it where I unequivocally am the number one guy. And KD believes wholeheartedly that he's capable of doing that wherever he might go. Put the, put the right pieces around him. He can get that done. Steph, Clay, and Dre, the only success they've ever known is with each other. They came up together. And deep down inside, they know they found something magical in joining forces that they're not likely to find anyplace else. Now, as much as Steph and Clay's shooting pushed the entire league toward shooting threes early and often. Draymond's versatility as a defender and ability to be a point forward on offense also forced the entire league to revamp its rosters. Draymond's ability to play big, to play the four or the five, to play the best opposing big man, to a standstill in the post, grab the rebound, and lead the break and then find somebody with his passing or finish and get all the way to the cup. That was a new wrinkle that took a couple years for the league to catch up. Everybody had to find an athletic tweener forward like Draymond, strong enough to defend the post, but agile enough to defend on the perimeter, to get out on him and not necessarily defend his three, but prevent him from putting the ball on the floor and attacking. That was one of the elements that he added before they became. He didn't have it when he came into the league. Didn't have it the first few years. He added the floater. He added the ability to attack. Bigs off the dribble. Got Became very effective. So once he had that, now people are going to sag. Now it's going to open up the shooters. That's what really made the Warriors lethal. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
as a defender, he was the type of defender that became key to stopping pick and rolls, being able to step out on smalls or even bigs that were going to shoot from mid-range and three. He was comfortable doing that. Just had to be strong enough to handle them in the post as well. So now it was how do we attack? Teams couldn't run pick and rolls, which is now the staple. I mean, it's, they run pick and rolls in various ways more than any other play by far. Draymond was the pick and roll stopper, even when he was paired up with Steph. Pair him up with Clay, that's a lockdown. Charles didn't prompt that kind of revolution in the, in, in the league because there was no finding another Charles. He's as unique as any player who has ever played in the NBA. 6'4", six, 6'5", six, quick second jump, wide, strong, long reach, shoot for the three, put the ball on the floor, go coast to coast. His, his skill set, particularly his ability to score, for all that I've said about Draymond's, it's far better than Draymond's in every category. Maybe Draymond's a better passer, but that's a maybe. And Charles's athleticism is way better. And that's not news, I know, including to Draymond. That's why when he came back at Charles, he attacked his intelligence and his TV skills. Draymond knows. <laughs> he knows who he is and he knew who he's up against in this beef. On the floor, Draymond had to work his butt off to improve his handle, to improve his body, and to improve his conditioning. One of the reasons that he went as a second-round pick out of Michigan State, in spite of the success that he had there, in spite of his basketball IQ, was didn't have a great body, weren't sure exactly where you're going to play him. He changed the game because he became effective in a way with the talent around him with the Warriors that forced the league to adjust to him. Now, whether it's genetics or lifestyle, Draymond still has a tendency to put on bad weight easily, much like Charles. The difference being that Charles could carry that weight and still be effective, particularly in his era. If Draymond's game has tailed off, and it admittedly has, my theory is it's because he had to work so hard to get his body right that five long seasons going to the finals took more out of him than it did guys who are naturally lighter and agile. Guys like Clay and Steph. You look at every other player who made those runs with the Warriors, they're either retired or elsewhere. It's a grind. Charles made a flippant remark about Draymond in a down year for both him and the Warriors. And when you've been a champion five years running, I can't imagine being the only player from the nucleus to be around, to plummet to the bottom of the league, is a whole lot of fun. Draymond was already miserable. And now here comes Chuck saying, he don't talk as much since he's averaging that triple single. Well, of course not. But you have to understand why he was talking in the first place. Kind of exposes to me that Chuck doesn't understand Draymond's role on the team. He's not yapping just to yap. And that's whether it's at opponents, his coach, or his teammates. It's part of the intangible thing that he brings, and it's a valuable, intangible element that I can tell you, while a lot was made about him and Steve Kerr going at it in the locker room, 
It is an element that Steve Kerr appreciates. He doesn't have a problem with it. He's told me so. Steph is not vocal. Clay is certainly not vocal. And those two learned early on that Draymond's fire is an important part of their formula. I had an executive tell me the other day that the reason Andrew Wiggins has a chance to be a success with the Warriors is because Draymond will hold him accountable. Not Steph, not Steve Kerr, Draymond. And he's right. And that's the guy Chuck hit with the same insult he used on Lonzo Ball and Ben Simmons. My suspicion is there is something deeper driving this. Since Chuck has taken shots at Draymond for years now. First, he questioned his toughness. Then he said he wanted someone to punch him in the face after watching him jaw with Rajon Rondo in a playoff game against the Pelicans. A game, by the way, in which Draymond was one rebound shy of a triple-double. And then Chuck finally said he'd do it himself. He'd punch Chuck, uh, he'd punch Draymond in the face himself. To which Draymond compared Chuck to a social media keyboard gangster. Somebody who types out threats from the safety of their couch and never backs it up. Told Chuck to through the reporters, he said, you see me all the time. If you want to punch me in my face, go ahead. If you're not, then stop talking about it. I can't, I, you know, I could theorize as far as why this beef has gone on as long as it has. My suspicion on some level is that Draymond has won rings. And he's won rings as this unique hybrid forward big man with an array of skills that Chuck had in spades over him and yet doesn't have a single ring to his name. Draymond also likes to talk in much the same way. I mean, a lot of it, I think they're very similar in a lot of ways. And Chuck sees a guy who has three rings and five trips to the NBA Finals. And Chuck looks at it and says, I only got there once. And yet I know that I'm better than that guy. I think that's what has to be the burr underneath Chuck's saddle. Next time I see him, I'm going to ask him. And I'll let you know what I find out. So this is where I'm going to stop talking. My guess is this feud isn't going to end anytime soon. Chuck has been known to take back things that he said from time to time. And Chuck and Draymond did make peace after the whole punch-in-the-face exchange. But there's been too much damage done by Charles, undeservedly, to Draymond. We'll see where it goes from here. All right, that does it for this episode of Buker Friendless. Subsidiary of Buker and Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. Uh, please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like us to do something for you, then screenshot that review and send it to Buker Friends on Twitter, and you'll be eligible to win some prizes, including a T-shirt. Still waiting to give it away. T-shirt that I was given at Kobe Bryant's memorial. Uh, it's a large. <laughs> it's still. Uh, untouched, might be a little wrinkly, it's been sitting on my shelf for a bit, but uh, if you want a memento that was only given out at the memorial, 
and you can wear a large, it is for you if you uh, simply rate the show and let us know that you've rated it. And we don't care if you don't like the show, you can give us one star. If you like the show, five, anything in between. Do appreciate any comments because it's going to help me and us get better. All right. In the next podcast, I will give you a breakdown on the Jordan documentary. I'm going to stop calling it a documentary. The Last Dance, the Jordan production on the last season, his last season with the Bulls, along with his entire history. Flashbacks and forth are, are, are getting to me a little bit. Nonetheless, I've enjoyed watching it with my, with my kids, both, both Hoopers and... Uh, uh, actually saw got a, a glimpse of me in one of the shots uh, was just starting my career and so they got a kick out of that uh, but we will talk about that in the next podcast maybe joined by will blackman who knows maybe even corral ryan hollands uh, one of these days once again but if not i will give you the breakdown myself in the meantime as always stay safe out there and thanks for listening are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.